Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. All right. Amen. Amen. God's already done the work. Let's, let me make you a little more uncomfortable. Would you just put a hand on somebody next to you? If you're, if you're too much of an introvert, just put a hand on yourself. Say, Father, just release healing in this house. Release peace. Release comfort. Father, bring your, your, your safety here, God. Bring your wholeness. Prepare us, Lord, for your word and for the plans that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now we're ready. Now we're ready. The quote this morning is, is actually kind of a, 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 a passage I took out of a book that I, I saw online and I, I ordered the book, but I haven't read it yet. But I just want to read you this little piece of it because it kind of erect me and, and, and I'm praying that it'll wreck you. Ready? Here's, here's what the author wrote. We, we suffer from a grace that's too small. We suffer from domesticated grace. We think grace is only about forgiveness. We think grace is pleasant to receive and we think it's ours to give. Grace isn't safe. It'll wreck your world. Grace assaults. Grace subverts. Grace grabbed one man and knocked him off his donkey. It rendered him blind and healed him three days later. He wrote ass, but I said donkey to clean it up. Grace put him in danger time and time again, shipwrecked him three times or more, beaten with rods and sticks, stoned and left for dead. Grace used him like a ragdoll, overthrew an empire and saved us all, even him in the foremost of sinners. Grace assaults us in so many ways that we're dizzy and dumb from its constant battering. Watch, hear this. Grace sneaks into the crack house and holds the baby in the crib. It breaks into prison and sets the dealer free. Grace says, come, let's reason together, even when the other side is incapable of true reason. Grace has its reasons of which reason knows nothing. Watch. Grace will pick you up in Kansas... And set you down in Oz. <laughs> you'll, you'll pick up crazy friends along the way. And you'll discover that the boss behind the curtain is just as screwed up as you are. Grace will give you ruby red slippers stolen from a dead woman's feet. And it'll show you the way home. Grace is a strong man's game. It's God's game. He invented it and he plays it out. Good luck against him. Grace huddles with the opponent, calls the play, and then runs the ball straight up the middle. The enemy knows it's coming, but Grace never audibles. It executes the play. Just try to stop it. There's only one way with grace. Surrender. We should just close in prayer and go home. <laughs> Sit down. You're not going nowhere. 
I want to share with you this morning on the theme, greater grace. Greater grace. I, I started this series with a message titled, Grace Upon Grace. Grace upon grace. And, and now we're a couple of weeks in and I want to talk to you about greater grace. If you're just joining us, we're in a series from here to there. We've been following God's people from the Old Testament and watching how, how, how they live and, and watching what God does and how God was there. And we're following them into the New Testament until Easter Sunday. Amen. At, at the resurrection, we're going to celebrate the New Testament prof- the New Testament promise of the Old Testament prophecy fulfilled. And the goal here is to take this historical journey through the scriptures from here to there and see how God's people respond to his grace. Because I wanted us to see how God has been working in people's lives since the beginning so that we can identify God's grace in our own lives. Somebody say amen. Amen. Maybe in ways that we haven't seen before. Amen. And so what I really want for the body at TSF is to see, I want you to see the full story and hopefully understand that there's a level of maturity that God wants us to get to this year as a body. And this is preparing us for that. If you've been, how many of you have been reading the New Testament with us in, 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 in the app? Really, six of you. Okay, let's go back. January 1st. So January 1st, we're going we're gonna to open up our Bible apps and we're going to read the Bible. Do we have that, 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 that uh, so they can find it? She'll, she'll find it in a minute. Pull it up on your Bible apps. It's not too late to start. We're trying to read through the whole New Testament in one year. On, on outside of here. I, I know I'm asking crazy of, I know I'm asking a lot of you guys. I got to sit through you, the Old Testament, and then I got to go home and read the New Testament. Yes. Yes. And guess what? You're not doing it for me. Amen? I think there's a level of maturity that God wants to bring us to this year. Okay. There's a work that's taking place. Amen? See, it's time for the church to take its prophetic roles in the community that it serves. And in the places that it works. And in the people that it encounters. In the schools that it goes to. In the stores that it meets people in. Say amen. When, when, um... When I first started, the, you know, when I was a, a new believer, like, you know, 180 years ago, and I started reading the Word as a new believer, I used to think this. Maybe, maybe some of you think this way. I used to think everything in the Old Testament is useless name genealogies, right? Abishaf begat Babishaf, and Bobashaf begat Bobolong, and this one begat this one, and Jose begat Carmen, Carmen, Bizet. and I used to think, who cares? Who, what? I will never, I can't pronounce the names, and I don't care. Maybe, maybe you were like, I used to also think, man, I'm glad we're living in the New Testament times because I'm glad we're living in a time of grace. Somebody say amen for grace. And, and not in his wrath like I, I, I imagined the Old Testament, you know, where, where people were dying for touching the wrong things at the wrong times. In the Old Testament where if you carried something wrong, you died. In, in the Old Testament where only these people could lead worship, only these people could, could be the priest, only these people could start the fire. If you start the fire, if you lead worship, you're dead. You know, in the Old Testament where if you hooked up with the wrong people, you were cut off from God. In, in, in the Old Testament where some people's worship was accepted and some people's worship was denied. In the Old Testament, where kids were punished for the sins of their fathers. Where, where God would give his people over to their enemies and leave them there for years until they cried out and turned from their ways. 
Thank God I'm living in the New Testament grace. But when you read it like that, it sounds horrible, right? But when you put it in context, when you grow up a little bit in the Lord, you know, here's the problem. People come to church for 10 years and don't grow up a little bit. There's a natural progression, okay? We just release the kids, right? And the twos and threes go to one class. And the four to six go, maybe, I, you know, the age is wrong, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? And, and the, the eight to tens go to a different class. The eight to tens can no longer go to the twos and fours class, right? They'd be like a big 10-year-old sitting in the twos and fours class, and some, the teacher will have to say, excuse me, it's time for you to grow up, right? You got to go to the next level. Come on. Okay. So when you grow up a little bit in the Lord, the more you read and study and start to understand that the, in the Old Testament, even though we're introduced to the law and to the religious Pharisees who thought they can keep it and to the lawless who thought they could ignore it, and even though it's loaded with enemies and battles and takeovers and the anger of God, it's still the most beautiful picture of God's grace that you'll ever see. See, when God, like a good father, tells people, do things this way and it'll go well with you and I'll be with you. But man insists on doing things the way he wants to do things. And then you, you read for 20, 30, 40, sometimes 100 years, they're told and they're warned and they're reminded. How many of you know eventually the consequences have to come? Right? Like a good father, how many understand like a good father that, you know, he can't continue to warn you of the consequences and not follow through on them? I told you about my dad who always showed me the belt, right? For 40 years, he showed me the belt. He never hit me with it, though. So guess what? After a year or two, that was a joke. After a year or two, after a couple of years, I already knew all you're going to do is tell me, yeah, get out on here, get out on here. And he would show me the belt. Sometimes he'd take it off, but never hit me with it. So I knew already this is a joke. He will never follow through on those, on, on, on those. I'll never see the consequences of my actions. How many of you understand that like a good father, he can't continue to warn us and never follow through because then he'd be showing us that it doesn't really matter to him what you did anyway. If there's no real consequences for doing the right thing. Yeah, I got quiet now. See, God says, if I let you get there from here, you'll think you could do it on your own. If I let you get there from here, you think you could do it any way you want to do it. You'll think you could do it without me. You think you could do whatever you want and still have the blessings of God. People do it every day. They make a royal mess of their lives and say, God bless it. I know I got no business with this man, but bless him, God. Bless it. And then say, Pastor, I'm going to bring him so you can save him. That's a bad plan. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's a bad plan. I'm going to send you back to the twos and fours class. <laughs> when the reality is, God says, if I took my hand off of you for three minutes, you wouldn't make it. 
you'd forget how to breathe. See, right now in our society, we're placing, we're seeing the results of what happens when we try to remove God from over places, right? We, we took him out of the school and look at the news. We took him out of the curriculum and look at the kids. See, you can't tell kids that they're evolved animals with no creator, no design, and no purpose, and then expect them to behave. We took them out of the courthouses and look at all the things we want to make legal. We took them out of the churches by watering down the gospel and preaching a message of tolerance and acceptance that tickles people's ears, trading the power of the blood and conviction of the spirit for fame and money and popularity and size. And look how many of the mighty have fallen. I was telling Pastor Bert the other day, I said, man, things are changing on social media because those, those people that used to sit in our local churches and, and hear us kind of hammer out the word that we've worked on and studied and prepared for, but then they go home and they post these little snippets of the famous preachers from TV. But now time after time after time, that scandal after scandal, affair after affair, the mighty are all falling. And don't get me wrong, I don't rejoice in that because that hurts the body. But I've been saying for years, the next big move of God is going to be a nameless, faceless, personality-free move of God through and by the church of God. I think God is maturing this, the, His church and it'll be people from here and people from Harvest and people from Promised Land and brothers and sisters from local churches all around. And there will be these prophetic voices to the nation. Somebody say amen. amen. See, when we, when we read these accounts in the Old Testament, we can focus on the consequences that Israel is dealing with. Defeat, exile, division, slavery, captivity, God's silence at times. And we can say, man, there's nothing but the wrath and terror of God in the Old Testament. Or we can look at all the times and all the ways and all the promises and all the attempts that God made to lead his people, to guide them, to protect them, to provide for them, to cover for them, to lead them from defeat and from exile and from division and from slavery and into communion. And, and we can say in the Old Testament, all I see is greater grace, even more than we see in the New Testament. Actually, the grace that we're under in the New Testament is the fulfillment of the greater grace God promised in the old. I thought that was good preaching. I don't know. Let me, let me show you a little chart. I'm going to show you a little chart that will just make things totally simple for you. That'll, I'm going to give you a visual that, that it's a picture of just one little part of the Old Testament. And, and this chart is just a simple chart that will just kind of, you know, make everything clear to you. Go ahead, go ahead and put up that chart. Oh, I feel the revelation just falling on everybody. It's totally clear now. You understand it, right? All right, all right. I, I, I know, I know. <laughs> Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. See, the, the yellow and the green are all the, the, the kings. Those were all the kings to the north and to the south. Those are all the kings that people had, right? And, and if we, let's zoom in to, to one of those real, real quick. And see, if you see these little blips, 
See the, the Shemaiah, the, the Edo, the Azara, the Obed, the Jehu. See all those little blips on the top, on the bottom, and go ahead, zoom back out. Now, now, you, now when you see all those little blips everywhere, those were times, those were interventions and interruptions. Those are all the prophets of God that brought the word of the Lord to those people. So if you see all throughout time, this is just a little snippet, all throughout this time, God sent these interrupters. Look, look, down here, down here. Some of them overlapped each other. Some, a lot of them, look, just overlapped each other. Like, the, I sent this one, this one, and this one, and this one to tell this guy something. There were interruptions and intercessions that, that God gave all the prophets of God with the word of the Lord for his people. And this is just through the entire season of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Ezra, and Nehemiah. There were prophets sent to bring God's word to his people. God gave them the kings that they wanted. They wanted kings because they wanted to be like everybody else. I, we want kings. God said, listen, the kings are going to do wrong by you, man. They're going to exploit you. They're going to mess you up. They're going to steal from you. They're going to put you in captivity. Many times they're going to lead you the wrong way. They're going to they're tear you far from me. But he said, oh, we want kings. We want to be like everybody else. God said, fine, give them what they want. He kept saying, there's a king that's coming. There's a good king that's coming. But they said, no, we want kings like everybody else. He said, okay, give, give them what they want. But, but, and, 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 and even throughout the reign of these kings who eventually led them out of God's will and led them into exile, led them into, God sent these interceptors, these interruptions all throughout to, to pause. I mean, you know, sometimes God will send you an interruption to pause. To, inter- to intercede, to interrupt. See, God loves people so much, he set up these interventions, these interruptions. It was a, a picture of God's greater grace. I love how God loves us in the Old Testament. No matter how far we are from him, he'll set up an intervention, an appointment. And at this point in Israel's life, these prophets would come. And sometimes the, the prophets would show up to announce that God is going to bring change. Sometimes the prophets would, would show up to, to every time a king or, or people were about to do something really, really, really bad. These prophets were sent with all these signs and wonders and illustrations. If you read these stories, they're amazing. There's, there's, there's something about the preparation that God puts into sending a message to you. Let's look at one of the first ones. When, when God was about to take the kingdom from Solomon and split the kingdom into the north and to the south, he sends a prophet to Jeroboam. And the prophet, watch this, the prophet, I, I love the illustrations. God sets all this up. God does it in your life too, and I want you to start identifying it. God, the prophet comes in, he's wearing a brand new robe. Understand that robes back then... They were like, you know, that was like, that cost money. It was, you only had a couple. You didn't have, you know, not, not like us. You know, we'd have, you know, 17 robes and, you know, we'd alternate and mismatch and they'd have the right logos and we'd want, you know, all that. Back then, no. You, if you had a good robe, then you were respectable, right? So this prophet shows up with a, with a brand new robe and you can tell when a robe is brand new and when it's been washed in, not in the river for, you know, a hundred times because they didn't have Clorox and washing machines and, and shout it out, none of that, right? So imagine those robes get worn and dirty no matter how much you clean them. There's no spot, whatever, right? So when you wore a brand new robe, you was shining, you was sparkling, you was flossing, right? And so the prophet shows up with a brand new robe and he goes up to Jeroboam and he takes it off and he cuts it into 12 pieces. 
They don't have scissors back then, so that means he had to take like a knife and just and and he and picture the scene. He's cutting this robe into twelve pieces, and he takes ten pieces and he he gives it and and he says, "Listen, God is taking the king." This is what the Lord says: God is taking the kingdom away from Solomon because he has abandoned him and worshipped other gods. And he gives ten pieces of the robe to Jeroboam, and he says, "I'm giving you ten tribes, dividing now the north and the south to be known as Israel and Judah." And then he tells him, I mean, if not that dramatic enough, he tells him now the same thing that he told Moses, that he told Abraham, that he told Joshua, that he told Saul and David and Solomon. He says this, obey my commands, follow my ways and my instructions, and I will be with you, and I will establish for you a lasting dynasty. That's still the word of the Lord today. Anybody want to, who wants a prophetic word spoken over their lives? Raise your hand. Right now, you want a prophetic word from the Lord spoken over your life? Raise your hand. Here it is. Obey my commands. Follow my ways. And my instructions. And I will be with you, says the Lord. I'll be with you. Young people, young people, who wants a prophetic word for teenagers? Teenagers, raise your hand. You want a prophetic word spoken over your life right now? Raise your hand. Don't ignore me. I'll shut you out. Here it is. Here it is. <coughs> Remain in me and you'll bear much fruit, John 15, 5. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12, 10. Two, I'm not done. Obey my commands. Follow my ways and my instructions. And I will be with you, says the Lord. It, it, it blows me away that, that, that people will stand in line for, for, for an hour to get a prophetic word from somebody but not spend 15 minutes in the word to get a prophetic word from the, from the word. This is the same word backed by the same promises. Saul didn't listen. David didn't listen fully. Solomon, even with all of his wisdom, didn't, didn't listen. See, you can have wisdom behind your, behind your years and fail to apply it in life. So Jeroboam, he doesn't listen. After this whole th- illustration, he doesn't listen. What does he do? As soon as Solomon dies, the battle's on. He's scared that people are going to go up to Jerusalem to worship and leave his kingdom and all that. And so he sets up two golden calves. Two golden calves. If you remember the story from Abraham and, and, and Aaron, he sets up two golden calves, one in one temple and one in another. And he tells the people, here is your God that brought you out of Egypt. And then he appoints regular people, whoever he wanted to, as priests and prophets. And he just appoints people like anybody. Who's here for the first time? Okay, you lead worship. You're the worship pastor now. You're like, bro, I just got here. I don't even... <laughs> Who else came for the first time today? You're a deacon. Amen. Everybody, what's your, what's your name? Ray? Deacon Ray. Everybody say, good afternoon, Deacon Ray. 
I'm sorry to, to shout you guys out, but but what I'm saying, you understand, is is not. It's just he just appointed people that were just hey, you're a prophet, you're a priest, you lead worship, you're in charge. You're he just did whatever the hell he wanted to do. He didn't follow the instructions of the Lord. Simple life lesson here. Listen, grace doesn't mean you get away with doing things the way you want to do things. Grace doesn't mean you can do whatever you want and God will bless it. Oh, we live in New Testament. It's grace. Jesus is nothing but grace. Grace. I know you don't want me to do that, but you're going to bless me, right? You're going to be with me. That's not what I said. I said obey my commands. Follow my instructions and I'll be with you. There's a promise there. I will be with you. But obey my commands. They're not for me. They're for you. And so what happens here with Jeroboam, check this out. On the day the king went up to offer sacrifices on those altars, right? He goes to one and he offers up a sacrifice on the altar. Look, this is crazy. Prophets are crazy dramatic. On the day he goes to offer up sacrifices, another prophet shows up. Sometimes it's grace, sometimes it's judgment. Say, "Uh uh-oh. This prophet shows up, he's, he's putting stuff on the altar, right, a Jeroboam. He's sacrificing things on this altar to the golden calf, who he says, this is your God. And he's sacrificing things on this, I broke the floor. He's sacrificing things on this altar, and another prophet shows up. And this prophet doesn't even address the king. He doesn't even talk to the people. He talks to the altar. In other words, he said, I've already spoken to you. You've already been spoken to. You've already been dealt with. I'm going to deal with something that has a better chance of doing what God wants than you. He speaks to the altar. And it says, the man cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. And he said, oh, altar, oh, altar. (laughs) The prophet is there. The king is there. The the people. He says, oh, altar. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priest of these high places who make offerings. Here's what you got to know though. Josiah wasn't even born yet. Josiah didn't get born and became king Till 290 years after that. He called the king by name that wasn't even born for another 220 years. And then verse 3 he says, and he gave a sign that day. I got to speed this up. I got three hours left. And, I gotta, I gotta, and, and he gave a sign that, that same day. He said, this is the sign the Lord has spoken, he tells them. Behold, the altar shall be torn down and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. See, back then you couldn't have the ashes. A priest would come and remove the ashes and then he'd have to take them far from the place of sacrifice and bury them. But So if the, if the ashes fell all over the altar, it would be desecrated. He's saying the, the altar shall be torn and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the prophet's message that he cried out against the altar in Bethel, Jeroboam took his hand from the altar and he pointed, seize him, catch him. And the word says his arm shriveled up and he couldn't pull it back. And then the altar split open and the ashes poured from the altar in fulfillment of the sign that the prophet had given with the Lord's message. See, grace doesn't always look the same. 
Grace doesn't always look like we expect it to. Grace doesn't always do what we expect it to do. God's heart is for his people. This king's disobedience was causing God's people to sin and worship idols. Sometimes grace will destroy the altar that you're worshiping at. Sometimes grace will go after your idols. I wish I could drop the mic on that one. If, if this is kind of resonating in your heart, don't raise your hand. Just keep looking straight. But sometimes God will go after your idols. Sometimes grace will destroy the altar that you're worshiping on. Let's look at another one real, real quick with the, with the last half hour and a half that I have. Um, let's look at 1 Kings 16. We're introduced to another one of those kings of the northern kingdom, King Ahab. He's another one of those things on the, those blips. King Ahab, the word says, Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. He took Jezebel as his wife, the daughter of one of the foreign kings, and it says that they worshiped Baal together, and he erected altars to Baal, and he erected Asherah poles to the other pagan god that they served. And the word says this, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than any of the kings of Israel before him. God, in his grace, sends a prophet. God raises up Elijah. And this prophet comes in with a different purpose. He, he appears to Ahab by, by the word of the Lord, and he says, There will not be any rain or dew, any moisture on the ground until I say so, by the word of the Lord. And then God tells him, run away, hide. <laughs> like you just dropped a big one on the king, <laughs> run away. So Ahab goes and hides, I mean, uh, uh, Elijah goes, runs, and he hides. And then there's great stories and great things that happen, but here we are three years later. It hasn't rained, there hasn't been moisture for three years. There is a severe drought and famine in the land. How many of you would understand? If we didn't have water for three years. Three years later, God speaks to Elijah, and he says, go show yourself to Ahab, and I'll send rain. 1 Kings 18, 17, it says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you? Is it you, the troubler of Israel? See, Ahab ain't thinking right. He's blaming Elijah for God's judgment against the people. Here's an important note. They thought, his his was really cool about this. They thought that Baal was the god of thunder and lightning. They thought that he controlled the agriculture and rain. And, and, and so they, they kind of emasculated Baal because they said, all right, if you control rain, this little prophet man is going to stand here and say, it's not going to rain until I say so by the word of the Lord. And here it is for three years. So imagine for three years they're asking Baal, the god of thunder and lightning and rain, send rain. We're hungry. We're dying. Our animals are dying. There's no, there's no, we can't grow anything. There's no water. But Baal can't answer. Sometimes God will force you to test the thing that you're trusting in. Let me hide behind the altar here. No gunshots. Shots fired. Sometimes God will force you to test the thing that you're trusting in just to show you how powerless it is. 
Verse 18, it says, and he answered, I haven't troubled Israel, you have, and your father's house, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather. Look how savage Elijah is. I love this. Now, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the whore Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. How gangster do you have to be to call somebody's God a whore? How gangster do you have to? You better be walking in the word of the Lord. He said, and the 400 prophets of the whore Asherah, bring them too. What? Verse 21. And Elijah came near to the people. Imagine the scene, though. Thousands of people. There's hundreds, thousands of people here. There's, he called all of Israel from that area. All of you come and meet at the mountain. And he's up on the mountain, so you can be seen from everywhere. Picture the scene. So all of Israel is there, and then the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. So you have, you have um, what's, what's the math there? 850. I just baffled some of you. Let me get the app. 450. A lot. There's a lot of prophets against the one prophet of God. Amen? That's the new math. There's a lot. And so they're all gathered there. Look at verse 21. It says, and Elijah came near to all the people and he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If it's Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer a word. The message says it this way. How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is real, then follow him. If Baal is real, then follow him. But make up your minds. I think that's a valid question for the church today. How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is real, then follow him. If what you're trusting in is real, then get up out of here and follow that. But make up your minds. See, the issue is not that Israel wanted to reject God and choose Baal, but they wanted to serve them both. We're the same way today in a lot of areas. We want God. We want to be spiritual. But, you know, demons are spiritual too. Elijah's calling for an either-or decision. God says, I don't share my glory. You can't serve me and serve somebody else. If you, if you told your wife that or your, or your husband that, you know, I'm going to be with you, but I'm going to have, you know, the side chick. Yeah, good luck with that. Unless you're on one of those, you know, but anyway, <laughs> stop it. So Elijah says, Elijah says, it's 450 prophets of Baal to one here. Let, and this is the, the, the contest he sets up. Let the Baal prophets bring two oxen and let, and, 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 and let them pick one, butcher it, and lay it on an altar on firewood, but don't light it. And I'll take the other ox, I'll cut it up, and I'll lay it on the wood, but neither will I light the fire. And then you pray to your gods, and I'll pray to the God of, of, of Israel, and, and the God who answers with fire will prove to be, in fact, God. And all the people agreed, a good plan, let's do it. Verse 26, it says, and they took the bull that was given to them. <laughs> and I love this. This is my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And they prepared it. <clears throat> and they called upon the name 
of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And, and they limped around the altar as they had made. And, and at noon, Elijah starts mocking them. He starts saying, he's savage. Elijah's savage. He says, he says uh, cry louder, for he is a god. Maybe he's, he's musing. Maybe he's relieving himself. He, he told people, maybe your god is pooping. That's the scripture. That's not me. Maybe he's relieving himself. Call again. (laughs) Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he needs to be woken up. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. Picture the scene, right? 450 prophets cutting themselves, bleeding, crying out for God to send an answer. And there was no answer. Six hours they cried out to a God who has no ears. Elijah finally says enough. Enough, you fools, embarrass yourself enough. All of you are half dead already. Enough. Come near to me. And all the people came near. That's the heart of the Father, right? God says, come near to me. And he says the people came near. And he rebuilt the altar because it was a mess, right? And he rebuilt it with 12 stones. He was showing them a picture of the 12 tribes together, not, not, not separate. And then he asked them to take four pitchers of water and drench the sacrifice. He said, make it wet. So make it, make it more impossible for this thing to, to catch fire. And he said, take those four pitchers and do it again and do it again and do it again. Three, three times four is 12. Again, God's picture of God's people united. Verse 36, and it says, and at the time of the offering, Elijah the prophet came near and he said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Verse 38, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and it consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and the water licked up every drop of water. Worship team, you guys can come. And right after that dramatic illustration, God met the need that the people had. It hadn't rained in three years. At this point, nobody's worried about who's what, who's what. They they need, and God answered, God sent rain. God opened up the skies and let it rain. And there's so much good preaching material in there, but I just want to keep it simple. Here's what I want you to see. Let's go back to that chart. Val, can we put that chart back up? If we looked at even a bigger timeline, remember, this is just the timeline from, from 940 to 680 BC. So it's just a small picture. If we looked at the bigger timeline from the beginning to the present, from here to there, we'll see all along that timeline those blips, those times of intercession, those interruptions. 
those, 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 in, those, those times in the, the, in the timeline of the lives of God's people. Sometimes they were religious leaders. Sometimes they were deliverers. Sometimes they were priests. For a period, they were judges. Some, some of them were kings. Throughout this last section of time before the New Testament, they were prophets. Many times the people deserved punishment. Many times they deserve to be left to themselves. They deserve to be handed over as captives to, to that which they served and, and, and that which they put before God. But if you look at the timeline, God's grace was greater. If you look at the timeline of your life, if we were to draw a picture of your life from birth to, to, to present day, How many times will you find yourself far from God? How many times will you find yourself serving idols? Serving, serving, going as far from God? How many times would you find yourself on your timeline deserving of punishment? Deserving the mess that you're in? And then if you look at that timeline and you zoom in a little bit, how many interruptions did God send to you? How many times, how many times did God stop you? How many times did God pause and send somebody? How many times did a stranger say something to you that made you stop and, and think? How many times did somebody come, a prophet of the Lord, with the word of the Lord? You might not have seen it as that back then. How God loves you, us. How God loves us. How many times were you interrupted? How many times were you this close to the end? To say, my timeline stops here. I'm done. And God sent an interruption there. (laughs) And, And... and that might have been the season you thought you were all alone. But if you look at the timeline, there's six over, overlapping interruptions, six interventions that God sent during that time. When you're crying out, I'm all alone. I got nobody. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. I got nothing. And there's, if you look at the timeline, I think... I think that's the call for the church today. Not only to, not only, because this is not all about you. Not only to recognize those interruptions and those intercessions, but to be those interruptions. To be those interceptions. Some of the prophets just just came to people and, and, and stopped them and, and made them go a different way. Some of them just came and gave them warning and said, if you continue going on this way, it's going to end bad. Some of you came, some of the prophets came to people with a word from the Lord, like, like ran into a total stranger and said, listen, I know that your name is Sam, and I know that you're far from God right now, and I know that you stopped serving God when your mother died 26 years ago, but the Lord says, I'm still with you. The Lord says he's calling you. The Lord says, and, and you're an you don't know where you're getting any of this from but it's coming because God has sent you as an intercessor it's time for the church to have a prophetic voice in the communities that it serves 
We'll continue with the uh, storyline next week as Israel finds themselves in exile. They, they both, both sides have been captured. They're, they're under their enemies and they're out of the land. They're under the oppression of the enemies. And, and many from this point on, maybe from this point on, we can notice those blips and those interruptions in the lives of God's people. And we can see it as greater grace.
let's just lift our hands together. We're going to sing the chorus of this song. We need to sing. We need your revival, Holy Spirit fire, burning ever brighter in our souls. Kings and kingdoms falling, hear your people calling.
If you heard the word of the Lord today, then it is up to you to make, to change. To And, and the, the crazy thing is, is that that change comes easy when you trust in God, man. It's not something you got to do. You ain't got to have the supernatural tr- strength because the supernatural strength lies in Jesus. And if he lives in you, then you have that. So I want to pray over you right now and I want to release you, but I want to release you with that word of the Lord in you, man. And when you leave this building, don't let anything take that away. Don't let anything blur that out. Don't just keep repeating it to yourself. If you, if you serve me, then I am with you and now make everything else work out according to my plans and purposes. I just took some verses, put it together, but it sounds so good. one of the things before I, before we pray I just want to say I didn't I don't know if you caught what pastor was doing is that you ain't gotta search high and low in charts and calendars for conferences to get a word of the Lord man because that same word of the Lord is coming from the word of the Lord that he already gave us this is supposed to be a Bible but if this was a Bible it would have been more dramatic <laughs> But the word of the Lord is there. And there's so many promises and so many words and prophetic words that he's given to us already. So you ain't got to search because he gave, gave you exactly what you need to move and walk in this life to the next life. Do we agree with that? So, Father, we thank you here today, Lord, for your word, oh God. Father, that you would care about us, Lord, that you would even show us, even to this day, more and more grace, oh God. We thank you for this grace, Lord, because it allows us, even though we're unperfect and perfect, even though we mess up, it allows us to get it right again, oh God. And not because of anything we could do or accomplish, not because of strategies, not be- but it's because of your grace and your love, Lord, that you allow us to move and step into a new mercy every morning, oh God. So, Lord, we love you. And we say, Father, that we've heard your voice and we commit to you today, oh God. That fire falling, Father, Lord, let it cleanse us from the head to our toes, oh God. And then re-anoint each and every person in this room like you've been doing that's what you've been doing throughout this month throughout this week just anointing new refreshing new all you on your people oh god awaken those that may be sleeping oh god stir up the ones that are already moving oh god strengthen the ones that are already working lord that's what we need from you oh god and with that we'll say we'll trust you lord and we'll keep our eyes on you oh god lead us oh god show us your heart continue to teach us how to worship you we thank you lord because we are blessed to be a blessing have a wonderful week people of god